This is one of Deep State Radio's briefs and debriefs. Hello, and welcome to another of Deep State Radio's one-on-one conversations with experts. We're especially pleased today to be joined by Rula Jebrial, who is a professor at the University of Miami and one of the leading experts we know on the Middle East. Uh, Rula has been writing about the region for almost two decades now. Uh, she also was friends with Jamal Khashoggi, uh, has been writing about Saudi Arabia, the U.S. relationship with Saudi Arabia. And of course, as you know, Rula, there's been, you know, constantly breaking news on this this horrific story. Um, uh, but the latest is uh, that the Saudis, after denying their involvement in the death of Khashoggi, uh, denying as even as recently as a couple of hours ago that he was dead, are now going to acknowledge he was dead, that this was the result of an interrogation went wrong, uh, that this was uh, an effort intended to abduct him to Saudi. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's suspicion that what's going to happen is that this, quote, investigation is going to, quote, conclude that this operation was not cleared and that nobody higher up knew about it. Uh, so this is a, a little bit more like an admission, but it seems to be woven of a new fabric of lies. And I, I just, you know, I, I, you know, I thought, let's start with getting your reaction to all that. Well, this is all indicator that we have now that this is probably an ugly, cheap one. Uh, is under work uh, negotiation between Turkey and Saudi Arabia in put in order to put Jamal murder affair under the rug. It's a cover up. It's a way to offer uh, to the Saudis, who've been denying, by the way, that they had anything to do with this. The president of the United States himself went as far as saying that the king, King Salman, who's 80 years old, who we know that he has dementia, he's been suffering from dementia for years, denied it. It's like Putin denying interfering with the election, like Xi denying other things, or Kim Jong-un denying that he has nuclear weapons. Regardless, the fact that you are the president of the United States who have access to very sophisticated intelligence, and yet you believe these tyrants. He doesn't believe these tyrants. I think Saudi Arabia, um, he decided to preserve the $1,000 billion blood money, Saudi blood money, which is the armed deals. So sadly, I don't think there will be justice for Jamal, who I think was butchered at the order of the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. There's no way a Saudi official, officials in this case, would fly, would take two jets from Riyadh, go to a consulate, prepare an, a whole thing. When the best part of the story and, and the thing that these people are trying to say, well, yeah, it, when, when, when a good news is considered that they, yes, tried to kidnap him rather than killing him and then something went wrong, when they claim that this is the best part, of, that this is somehow a spin-off and, and, and try to spin the whole story. When this is, when somebody will come out and say, well, yeah, uh, this is the good part of the story that now we have clarity over it. No, we don't have clarity. The, the, the truth is we have an Amer- in America a ruling American family dealing with a rogue state and a rogue and a reckless crown prince 
and trying to cover up for his crimes. This is not the first time that he's done this. He got away with much worse. The war in Yemen, kidnapping the prime minister of Lebanon, Hariri, uh, kidnapping and torturing in the Ritz Carlton his cousins and shake them down for money. He's done this before. He never thought that the world who allowed him to go as far as he did to become outraged about one journalist. I think he was shocked and surprised. And now the cover up starts. Well, it's not, you know, it's it's interesting about the cover up. You use the term rogue state. Um, and a couple of days ago, the president of the United States started using the term rogue killers. And lo and behold, the theory that seems to be being per- propagated by the uh, Saudi, uh, quote, investigators, is that there were rogue killers involved in doing this. Uh, and so it looks a little bit... by the crown prince. Well, right, they're saying There's not yet. There's nothing rogue in the order. No, no, no. I, I understand that. But what I'm getting at is that the president of the United States has been involved in this cover-up directly. It's as if his language, you know, presaged what was going to come out of the Saudi government with their admission. Um, And, uh, you know, on one of our podcasts, you know, there was some speculation uh, that there was sufficient amount of intelligence out there that the Saudis were undoubtedly told by us, you can't keep this a secret because the Turks know about it. We know about it. Other governments likely know about it. Um, there's a video, there's an audio, there's everything. The consulate was bugged. We know that every host nation bugged consulates. And it was bugged. The Turks within hours came out talking about murder and interrogation. And by the way, you remember when President Trump used to say, Russia, if you're listening, Turkey, if you're listening, put out that audio, because through the, the kind of interrogation, we can understand where the command came from, what they asked him exactly. And I bet that where they were asking him all questions about MBS, every question. And I am sure they told him even directly while we were killing him or torturing him, that it was an order given by the authority. That's why the, the, the Saudis are now rushing to give the Turks some kind of um, some kind of agreement so the story will become oh yeah something we were supposed to abduct him but then they he was killed in the process well it seems to they me they went there it... to kill him you don't send three four three of the guys that were sent the team one of them is an expert in dissection it's basically somebody that works in dissecting people why was he sent there i mean the story doesn't add up the no, kind I th- of team that was sent there is a killer team Right. And and I think that, you know, the, the 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 story hasn't added up for a long time. But I think it's also unlikely that we're ever going to see these tapes from the Turks um, because the Turks have almost instantly turned this into a negotiating opportunity uh, and stepped away. You know, they're 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 not interested in justice. They're interested in, you know, improving their relationships or getting more leverage either with the U.S. or the Saudis or somebody. And in fact, it. I mean, I'd be interested in your comment on this. It's not a coincidence um, that the American pastor was let out in the middle yes. of this, right? Exactly. There have been a negotiation for a while, and I think that uh, even Qatar was helping them in that negotiation. Uh, and I think uh, Erdogan was looking into a way out of that situation. Uh, I think his economy is 
is is in bad shape. But hey, look, Turkey is the number one jailer of journalists. So it's it's incredible that we're looking up to Turkey to somehow for kind of justice for Jamal, uh, that America had totally uh, abdicated its role when it comes to holding up uh, some kind of rule of law or values or standing up. Even the country that stood up to Serge, for Serge Magnitsky, who's a Russian uh, lawyer who was murdered and tortured in, in Russia. We did just because we wanted to send a signal to the rest of the world that America stands for something, that we are the shining city in the hill. Uh, Obama, through Obama and during that era, they put uh, sets of sanctions, they call it the Magnitsky Act, against human rights violators. Uh, now we're totally defending these dictators on tyrants, not only defending them. Actually, Trump, I think, in the interview in 60 Minutes said, yeah, I think uh, Putin killed people and poisoned them in the UK. I mean, and that's the guy that you stand next to. And it's like, well, I believe this guy when he was in Helsinki saying, well, I believe him. And he believed him over his own intelligence. I mean, it's a disgrace. And I must say we are living in a world. It's a, now it's a jungle rule. Whoever is more powerful can crush the next. And I feel that, and I fear that Jaman life, that who, a man who was a humble man, who stood up for one principle, which is pluralism, democracy, and freedom for all, his life will be, and his murder will be covered up for geopolitical reasons and for financial reasons. Well, one of the things that gets to me, frankly, in all of this, Rula, is that a human being was lured into a consulate and tortured and murdered. And within moments of his death, despite the well-intentioned outrage of many of those close to him, it became a political issue. It became a negotiating point for the U.S., for the Saudis, for the Turks, for others. Uh, and somehow in all of this was lost a human tragedy. Uh, and you knew uh, Jamal Khashoggi uh, somewhat. Uh, and and, and I just if you could take a minute or two to describe him and what his mission was like and what he was like as a person, because, I, you know, it seems to me that that has been lost in all of this. Yeah, I mean, uh, what is it boils down to Trump's presidency. Uh, many of us who covered the Middle East for decades been warning America about these dictators, whether they are allies or foes alike, that uh, when America went to the Middle East, you know, for the Iraqi invasion that I opposed, um, they went there thinking, well, um, there's tribalism, we will bring democracy. America ended up basically importing tribalism from the Middle East. And what I used to see in many of these um, police states where people are abducted, tortured, disappear only for a tweet, for a simple tweet, or for saying a child was kidnapped in Dara, in Syria. Um, and I wrote for about that for foreign policy when you were uh, working and you allowed me, um, you know, to give voice for the Syrian people. 
uh, Hassan was kidnapped and tortured and murdered by the regime only because he was singing in the streets down with the regime. You can be killed and disappeared because of this reason. But we all came to America. Many people came to this land, the land of freedom that enshrined in, for, in its First Amendment free speech. We came here because we thought we could not be anymore in the Middle East. We can cover the Middle East, go in and out, but we could never live there because there's another place where we're allowed to be who we are and live according to principles, values, the rule of law. And, and we have some kind of possibilities. Now, Trump is giving an image to the rest of the world and sending a message that America is no longer that, that yes, they can get away with murder. I mean, the Saudis came out threatening yesterday. They threatened the United States with economic warfare in, in, if there will be ever sanctions. And Trump capitulated within hours. This is a guy that says to be strong and love strong men, but then within hours, he came out defending them, giving them all kind of uh, ways to get out with the, uh, to get out of this. And and then he said, well, you know, we cannot afford to lose money. I believe that there is a bigger story here, and the story of the financial ties of this president, of his son-in-law, with the Russian, but above all with the Saudi royal family. What? Did Hamad bin Salman mean when he said that Kushner was in his pocket? Why did the president a week ago on a, in a rally said they buy from him the Saudis villas and, and, and apartments for 40 and 50 million dollars? Is our foreign policy on sale for the for the tyrants, for these dictators? This is scary. I mean, if we think that America's foreign policy is on, on, on an auction block, and for the highest bidder, and in exchange of impunity for these dictators to kill whoever they want, then our democracy is at risk. And whoever is voting in the midterm, they're voting to save America's democracy. Well, and it's interesting because it, it you know, the the view of this administration has had consequences in a variety of places. We're talking right now about Saudi. You mentioned earlier Erdogan. Certainly, we've talked about Putin. We've seen it. Uh, from the Philippines uh, to China uh, to Israel, where, you know, in the course of the past 18 months, the country has doubled down on, on, on cases where even today there is a, you know, a college student being denied entry into the country because she uh, supports an economic boycott of the country. You know, in other words, that dissent is not being tolerated in that country. Uh, quite apart from what's been happening uh, at the borders. So, you know, this this does seem to be um, more pernicious. It's not about one place, uh, but it's about leeway for authoritarians to behave as they will without consequences. Yes, I mean, look, when when America elect a president who decide that he rather and favor authoritarian regimes uh, and then attack allies, whether Europe, uh, the UK, uh, Canada. And, and these, this embolden and enable other regimes. They feel that America is complicit. This administration is complicit in the crimes being committed because of our silence. Silence is complicity, whether we want it or not, but not only silence. When, when Mohammed bin Salman himself 
um, I think, start attacking Canada because of a tweet, by the way. The Canadians put out a tweet in support of human rights uh, activists who's in who's jailed and Mohammed bin Salman in a very, uh, you know, aggressive way, cut every financial ties with them. And I ask all the students to leave the country and start and they start aggressively. Some of his trolls on Twitter threatening Canada. America was silent. That emboldened him to go further until he is confronted and there are sanctions and there's limit and there's I think that the whole relationship need to be renegotiated by the next administration. Uh, the relationship with Saudi Arabia, because what they are doing is undermining American national security and interest and standing in the world. Uh, uh, David, you and I looked at radicalization for as long as we remember, maybe since 9-11. Every radical group that's been operating around the globe, the one thing they say, and if you look at their narrative and rhetoric, the one thing they always said, that it's not only the regime they're fighting in the Arab world, the Saudi regime or other regimes, but they're fighting their backers. And who is their backers? America. And America is seen as complicit in the crimes of these regimes. And this is one of the reasons why many misguided young people were radicalized, because they felt that America say something at home, but then operate differently. And now we're saying the same thing. Whatever we used to say secretly, through covert operation, none of what the president is endorsing publicly. And this is dangerous. This is a world in disarray. And this is, this is really, will, I mean, I don't know the consequences of all of this, and I don't think we will see it anytime soon. But I think this is emboldening other radicals around the globe. And I think that we will have a new wave of, because violence breeds only violence, and oppression breeds oppression. And I think we will see a new wave of radicals around the Middle East. Well, it's also a missed opportunity because um, there are pockets of positive change where if the United States stepped up and used its influence to encourage more openness, to defend human rights more, to make these places examples, then that would be the best possible way to combat extremism. Absolutely. It's smart diplomacy. It's it's what we all advocated for. And that's why the story of Jamal, who was a humble, simple man who was a writer, who was a journalist. He's not an activist. He's not, he's not somebody that asked for the, the overthrow of the regime. He asked it for very simple rules and very simple... Basically, he, he asked the regime to moderate itself and allow its people to speak. You know, one of his beautiful columns, the last time he wrote for Al-Watan, which is a Saudi newspaper, he wrote, I am a Saudi and he invited his fellow Saudi citizens to use their, you know, their mind to be more critical and to use um, pluralism, to, have, to be more pluralistic. He even invited the regime and he said, it's wrong of the government to criminalize and demonize everybody as extremists because we are not all extremists. We want to exist and to live. We want the government to thrive, but we want to participate as citizens, not as slaves. The regime is treating them as slaves, and Donald Trump is confirming that they can get away with murder. Yeah, and they're, miss, say, you know? they're, they're missing an opportunity because I believe in Saudi Arabia, uh, uh, maybe per capita the biggest uh, social media use of any country in the world. There, there is there. You know, there are educated people with a desire to pr- produce the kind of reforms that even MBS talked about. Uh, and the question is. You know, is the thumb on the scale towards reform or is it 
fearful of reform. Uh, you reform by killing your everybody that that criticizes you. I don't know. I mean, I don't believe in these kind of reforms. If it's a reform where you have to kill everyone that, and you have to even send a squad. Uh, and, and a killer team to go to 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 Istanbul to to interrogate a dissident or or even a journalist. That means your reforms are wrong to start with. Economic reforms are not enough. A political reform is the only way forward because they they are they are they go hand by hand. A liberal democracy and a liberal uh, market and a liberal economy, they go hand by hand because this is what will open up to investment, to believe in what you are doing. I mean, if I believe, and sadly, we have a responsibility to tell these regimes that the China model might not succeed in Saudi Arabia, that you have no political reforms, but you have basically, you can, you know, you can enrich yourself, but you shouldn't criticize the, the, the party. It doesn't work. We know from data, from scientific data, that the only way to reform a country is to open it up gradually, slowly, whatever you want. But if your reform starts with bombing Yemen, kidnapping prime minister, butchering and torturing people in the Ritz Carlton, maybe we should wonder what kind of reforms are these? Last question. Does it leave you with any sense of optimism that this very, very dark moment could be a turning point? You know, David, I've been it's it's heartbreaking what happened to Jamal, who was in love with this wonderful woman and he wanted to get married and and um I, I I have to think about the people who said that the art of history is long, but always meant to wear justice. I hope it's, I don't know if it's in our lifetime. I, I don't know if it's a generational thing, but I have hope and I pray that the young people in America, the people who didn't register to vote, that can go out and vote and that can protect America's democracy because it might be late for us in the Middle East, but it's not late here in America. Save your democracy because the rest of the world depends on it. Your livelihood, your future depends on it. Well, I think that's a really fitting um, uh, and thought-provoking place to end this conversation because, uh, you know, it sounds sometimes like rhetoric when the United States says, you know, we are the champions of democracy. We've we've made a lot of mistakes in our past. We've gone through slavery and racism and civil war and genocide against Native Americans. And we've supported some bad regimes in the world from time to time. Um, but the net balance following that arc toward justice, uh, that has been a mission that we have uh, pursued um, fitfully, but 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 in that general direction, and uh, right now we're not doing that. And uh, I think the challenge for us, just like the challenge for these these regimes around the world, is to recognize that this is a choice, and to uh, to to reorient ourselves back towards um, uh justice, back towards openness, back towards reform, back towards democracy, uh, because at the end of the days, the, this is what makes uh, everybody more secure and better off. And, and, and it's a very disturbing moment for so many governments in so many places across the world, the United States, Europe, Asia, uh, the Middle East, Africa, and Latin America, to have lost their bearings on this front. Uh, and hopefully this death will be a trigger 
to reevaluate um, uh, uh, where we are going and and possibly for all involved to begin to head in a better, more constructive direction. Uh, Rula, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thank we, you, David. Uh, we, we hope you will do so again very soon. Um, and, uh, and, uh, uh, all of you out there, uh, listening to deep state radio, uh, I rec- recommend you follow Rula. She's one of the smartest and most thoughtful people we know on these issues. Uh, and that you go to deepstateradionetwork.com, sign up, be a member, hear more of these one-on-one conversations, our podcasts, read what we've got on our website, uh, and participate in the really amazing growth of Deep State Radio Network, uh, which is due to all of you and to the participation of people like Rula. Thank you very much. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.